Hello and welcome to Season 4. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. Well, we are just about to go into our 100th interview and my goodness me, this is super exciting. We're with Tarn Bright and uh, she's one of those who, she's a bit of a known, lots of people know her and um, the thing is, she's proper down to earth. She is just like any normal person. You know, she bleeds, she cries, she laughs, she gets angry, she gets upset, she finds joy in so much, she lives I mean, if there ever was a person that knows how to live life to the full, Tan is definitely one of those people. But she is also someone with acute sensitivity, real, uh, um, um, real deep wisdom that she carries. And honestly, this interview that we do now, it's uh, I was so encouraged by it. So look, let's just go straight into it. And I hope that you are blessed as much as I was. Well, it is with great delight that uh, we have another guest who's also who's also a mate. Um, and um, it does sound a bit bizarre, but um, we are with... It's not bizarre at all, of course it's not. Uh, we are with Tanya Bright, or as she likes me, and everyone knows her as just as Tan, don't they? <laughs> Which is really confusing. It's a bit like with my name, everyone knows me as Matt, but it's just M-A-T. It's like... Yeah, but so, so do you spell your name with a M-A-T-H-E? No, no, no. It's like, Tan. <laughs> <laughs> I met the um, the meteoric, the wonderful, the delightful, and very good fun, Tanya Bright, when uh, she was kicking around with this organization that no longer exists <laughs> called Capital Mass. And we went for lunch to have a chat and a scheme, because we did, come on, let's be honest now. <laughs> and that was it, it was like, oh, this is a friend for life. And then the last time I saw you was at the Pastor's Appreciation Ball. Oh gosh, yes. And we, we waved each oh, other from afar and you were dressed up all wonderful. <laughs> I was with my wonderful wife, I was in a suit. And I don't think that... I recognize you because you were in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got two suits now. Come on. Oh, what an amazing event that was. Yeah, it was very good. Very good. I met some incredible people that night, that one relationship of which has turned into a really wonderful friendship. Oh. Um, so, yeah, very blessed. Tanya Bright, tell the world for those who know nothing about you, who are you and what do you do? I am a 50-year-old woman. I say that because I've just turned 50 and the celebrations were quite extraordinary. <laughs> extraordinary as in you're a bit fragile or extraordinary oh. as in bucket list? For... <laughs> <laughs> um, um, not particularly fragile, but just were epic. Epic wow. in regards to parties and lunches and days out and friends who were just extraordinarily generous with their time and organization skills. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, I'm still just on the high of the 50th. Um, I'm a solo adoptive mum of two sibling brothers with uh, additional needs. Yep. And uh, I serve an organization called Home for Good, which is about finding from across the church individuals, couples and families to themselves become foster carers, adopters, and supported lodgings hosts. Yes, and man. if we get a chance, Matt, I'd love to talk to you about supported lodgings hosts, because actually that's the genesis in one sense of why I do what I do. Why do I care? I care about what I do at Home for Good because I found myself as a teenager homeless. Wow. And the experiences I had then never, ever left me. And I'm now in a situation where we seek to support every child in the care system. And whilst I was not in the care system, mm. um, I, I remember so vividly the feelings of acute isolation and loneliness. And some of the decisions, Matt, that I made in my life back then as a 16-year-old, negative decisions and challenging decisions affected me for decades. Yeah. So uh, it's part of why I do what I do now in serving home for good. And yeah. it's a bit of a busman's holiday as well. Let's just acknowledge this fact that I, I work all day with churches 
foster carer social workers, albeit <laughs> with an incredible team. And then I go home to the legacy of trauma that yeah. my children live with. And uh, and then I start the whole thing again the next morning. And oh, yeah. It's the joy and the privilege. But also, you know what? It's 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 something that I acknowledge is unique and I wouldn't recommend it to everybody being immersed in the world in which you work also immersed in the world in which you do family mm. but I can't separate the two Matt and uh, I do consider it a privilege so that's who I am it, it the thing when I when I heard you got the, the gig for home for good it was like well of course it, it, it was such a natural it's like that that is so that's so tarn I, um, for, for listeners, they, they know that I'm a great advocate for the Enneagram and mm, a, a way of, it's just a, just a pair of optics to understand ourselves and to understand others. And it's that relationship between our past, present and future mm. about how, what we think, feel and do. And you, you talk about those early years that were formative, that now project into who you are. And, um, I'm in a a really interesting place of looking at different options and avenues. And I was watching um, Facebook. I don't know when you do, if you use social media. Some yeah. people they don't, and it's like, yeah. wow, amazing. And some of us dabble in it, and some of us are, are fully immersed. You know, it's like, how healthy is that? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, this morning I was listening to, uh, not listening. I was I was just scrolling through my Facebook, and I saw one of those ridiculous videos. And this lady had this glass, and then she said, uh, I, "I didn't even read it. Uh, I, I just watched it, and then it was like, oh my goodness, that's a, like a game changer." So it was a glass full of water, and she got some dirt into it and threw it in, and then she started trying to, and then she went and said this is what life is like we we stir up the glass of full of water with the mud and we keep trying to get rid of the little dirt and we just keep focusing on the bad then she got a jug of water and poured it into the glass and of course all the dirt just became came out naturally and she said you focus on the good stuff you shift your gaze away from the bad and you fill it with good light and life everything becomes better mm -hmm. and you're a person who is what I call not a, uh, 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 someone who has moved from being uh, uh, from trauma mm. to to not a survivor, but someone who is thriving, mm. aren't you? Yeah. Well, I like to think so. Well, yeah. What 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 did that look like from that moment? You going? I'm no longer a victim. I'm no longer going to be a passenger of this. I'm going to take back the power that I gave whatever. What yeah. were those moments of like, let's change this? The moments have been many and multiple. And I've also had to revisit certain points of trauma Yeah, over and over. Yeah. Now, that can sound in one sense, Matt, quite like, oh, meh. Like yeah, yeah. really, like, can I not just have kind of light bulb moments and then it just something gets restored and then you don't revisit it and then you just build sort of almost aggregated health onto aggregated health. Yeah. And I've just not found that that's been the case. But what yeah. I have found is that when I've stumbled across and or been given intentional tools, I've mm. been really, really mindful to use them. So you just actually mentioned Enneagram, Matt, there. Yeah, yeah. I came into the Enneagram relatively late in life. Uh, one of my very, very close friends shared with me that he had found it really useful when trying to work through some of his next stage of career development and calling development stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it because it helped me understand my motivations and my fears. Mm. It helped me be even more so an undefended leader. And by that, I mean, we all armor up, right? It's yeah. just kind of nature our ego gets in the way yeah. and all of those trauma associations that we may not have dealt with they start activating themselves as fear and mm. yet we see them as rightness we see them as it's my opinion and I'm entitled to it and yeah. we see it as in how dare they do that to me and actually what if we strip it all back it's fear 
Yeah, that's fear right. of rejection, fear of getting lost, fear of not being heard. Yeah, yeah. And so when I realized that uh, I could help me understand me through the Enneagram, help others understand me through the Enneagram, and I could understand my fears and motivations, that was enlightening for me. And mm. I realized that for years, Matt, I had particularly from the genesis of family, my family, which sadly for me broke down. Yep. I had had language spoken over me around I was too much, just too much. Yeah, yeah. Too intense, too loud, yep. too everything. And I was destructive and I was, um, in one sense, all the kind of mixed metaphors of the strong woman, aggressive instead of assertive, bossy instead of, yeah. you know, forthright. And I yeah. really just sort of then grew through my teens and 20s, um, having had some very negative experience because of my own choices. And I always yeah. really assert that, Matt, that my my leaving the family unit was my choice. Yeah, yeah. But it left me homeless and it left me very, very isolated making decisions I wouldn't wish any 16-year-old to be making. So because of this growing up with very strong language around I was too much and somehow I was not acceptable, hmm. um, when I realized the type I was through the Enneagram, which is an eight. Are you? Anyone, anyone who knows and understands what an eight Enneagram. Is. My son is an eight. Oh my goodness. Oh yep. my goodness. Hang on. Put pack your dominance away, please. We're not for today. Thank you very much. We're on a picnic. We're not on a campaign. <laughs> <laughs> One of my dear friends. Uh if, you know, they're an eight, and it's like, oh yeah. Right. <laughs> but I'm what's called I'm what's called a counter type. So I'm a, a counter type eight. Yeah. Which means that instead of my dominance being used for self-gain, my dominance is used in the service of others. So it is of no surprise to me, Matt, that I've ended up in the charity sector. I've ended up seeking to not just be within the life of church, but to see how church can be of service to community. Yes. And so all of that dominant trait goes then toward where I see, feel, or even just can touch yeah. injustice yeah. or the underdog. And so here I find myself working for a, an organization that is both church focused, but yep. also it's about finding a voice for the child, the most, you mm. know, in one sense in our society right now in the UK, the children in the care system are probably those who least have voice Yes, uh, of all yes. other people groups in our society, really, you know, it, some of what is done to the children in the care system by that i mean they're given no choices there's no agency their voice is not heard multiple placements because we're just not able to in this country seemingly find or recruit enough of the right type of carers that would produce longevity or stability permanence yes and yes. so all of my learning have gone from being at a place of feeling a traumatized teenager myself, leading to very, very distinct decisions that took decades to unpack. Yeah. You're right. Aged 50. Aged 50. It's taken me this long to understand self in order to understand how others have perceived me to go right back to the family unit, whereby some of the biggest trauma was felt by me. Yeah, yeah. And I can understand exactly why. And when I look at the makeup of mom and dad and an older sister, all with very different temperaments and with their own trauma and their own experiences, mm. it's taken mm. me to 50 years old to smile and to say, oh, my goodness, of course. And then in later life, Matt, to be diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah, yeah. Again, you add that onto a type eight whereby I've struggled, how is it I can't focus? How is it I can't seemingly understand sort of information mm. at school that others would just absorb, take yeah. into their brain, repeat by rote, get through exams, and then that's how they were. their intelligence was measured. My intelligence could not be measured by my chaos. 
So, so if, if intelligence, <laughs> if somebody said to me, there's something called the chaos quotient, Tan, you know, we've got the emotional quotient, you know, yeah. the IQ. Well, the chaos quotient, my goodness, I would be the most intelligent woman on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> but listen again, at 50, I understand my brain. I understand how it processes itself. I understand how I can bring genius into a room now. And I can also understand when and how I bring chaos, which I now try to avoid. But it's taken this long to go from surviving to now thriving. And I'm just very grateful for the experiences in one sense that have helped me have to want to unpack it. And so now I found myself helping others and not least helping children, uh, most importantly children. Because if we can skill our kids up, Matt, Oh, my gosh, imagine if my boys, both with processing disorders, both with ADHD, both with fetal alcohol syndrome, learning disabilities, imagine we can skill them up now to understand their true selves and that they can have skills in their toolkit so that they can maximise the very huge genius they both carry. They haven't got to get to 50. Then I consider this life a life worth lived. You... You have answered a question that 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 is that conundrum in a such an articulate way. And, and let me explain this. I'm a seven, by the way. Oh, you're an adventurer. Yeah, you, yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Right. Totes, yeah. <laughs> uh, future thinker, you know, strategy, you know, do I'm, you know, my wife's a nine, so that's a quite <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So if I'm future, future, she's backwards, backwards, and so trying to meet in the present is quite quite challenging. Yeah. Um, this, this week's devotion, uh, as you know, is the parable of the sower. Mm. I have written so much about the sower. It, it, for me, it's one of the most, other than the prodigal son, the parable of the sower is one of those, um, uh, cornerstones mm. of, of, let's say the story that Jesus is trying to introduce to us, who we are and how we interact with him. Okay. And I've always seen and read Parable of the Sower as a bunch of hurdles before we be, we get fruit, where we see outcomes and results. And so this first one, which is, and the word of God is dispersed, and that could be anything. Let, let's say you are blessed and and perfectly, wonderfully made. That's a, that's a lovely you know word from God. All right, Jeremiah. So that would be a word from God. And then the first hurdle is uh, within the metaphor. This parable is this within that is a, is the seeds are thrown onto the ground and the birds of the air swoop it up. And the birds of the air, when later explained, is is the enemy, the devil, the evil. Some people would say, well, what does that then look like? Because th- these are mythical in its language. They're, they're not. They're not. We can't grasp it. It's a bit beyond us. And yet, when we ask the question, "What does that then look like in reality?" is um, the, uh, when when the serpent said to uh, Eve and uh, to to Eve, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" And we have that this if we use that metaphor of "You are perfectly and wonderfully made," and then the the enemy would come along and say, "Really? Are you perfectly wonderfully made?" Mm-hmm. You've answered this question from saying. It essentially comes, really comes to the very core of you need to know who you are. You need to know yourself. You need to know your shape. Mm-hmm. That um, you're not made to do art, but you are made to do science. Mm-hmm. You are uh, six foot six. Don't try and be four foot two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a, a, a woman. You are a man. You are this background or whatever it is. And, and this is your shape. And it's wonderful. And if the thing that's f- such an important thing is, uh, weirdly enough, for a seven, we don't like negative conversation, hence why, you know, water juggling completely resonated with me. But it's, but what you're saying is, understanding who you are, more importantly, celebrating who you are, is almost a way of counteracting that doubt. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of, um, uh, I call them monastic practices. So mm-hmm. I listen to Lectio, I'll go for a walk, I'll do a pray and that sort of thing. What sort of monastic practices, spiritual practices, 
enrich your mental, emotional, physical state to keep you in the present to say, I'm awesome? Yeah. Wow. What a good question. Because of what I've just shared about how my brain processes, <clears throat> mm -hmm. if, if I try and attempt the more liturgical slash introspective approach yeah. to feeling God, to feeling yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I end up disappointed in myself, never with Jesus, just that's, with me. That's brilliant, insightful. Because my brain goes to, oh, Lord above it. I mean, it goes to Donald Duck. It goes to <laughs> the food list. It goes to, <laughs> I haven't bleached the toilets. To I mean, it's bizarre, Matt, because my brain <laughs> has got a massive capacity to regenerate wiring very swiftly within like synapses in the brain. Yeah. It takes me an hour to decompress to the point whereby I can simply just but read a book. Oh yeah. I've given up reading. I just right? listen to books now. Yeah. I get it. Uh, so it's that kind of thing I've had to really love about me and learn to appreciate. So whilst I look on with incredible, dare I use the word, just envy with people yeah. that can just zen it out, you know? I know, and, I know. Oh, and I say, oh, I spent hours just talking to the Lord. And I, I literally, my whole, my body language, Matt, for those that are listening to this, not, not seeing us on screen, my head tilts to a 40 degree angle. And I go, really? I know, I know. Like, I'm exactly the same. Like, wow, man, how does that work? Oh. Like, a friend of, we, I flew to Canada and and we were watching films and a friend of mine was 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 sitting there not watching anything and I said went up to her and I said and this is Caroline uh, uh, and I said to her are you okay so oh, I'm just praying and meditating that was eight hours I did say to, yeah I said you're not right I mean <laughs> do you know exactly what I mean and and do you know what I had to really almost grieve the fact that that's not how I am wired. And I yeah. I just, I partly joined the Northumbria community. This is years and years ago. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, I love them. They're amazing. Because I absolutely love it. I love the, it's just down to earth. It's, well, it's earthy. Uh, yeah. And I, I just wanted to get my hands on some of that sort of almost monastic vibe that meant yes. I would kind of come down a level and could my brain enter into that yeah. space of the you know the peregrinatis the sort of just being able to wander and just be mm. but you know what I still am a member I love it I love it I love them I use the Celtic prayer book when I have to really intentionally work my way through wanting to focus yeah. uh, on contemplation but yeah. listen to answer the question therefore the way I most stay alive in Jesus and you notice I use probably Jesus more than I do the sort of generic terms of either faith or the Bible. Yep. For me, I am centered in the person of Jesus because that's actually how I most access my faith really? is when I can replicate the character and the intentionality of a person mm. as opposed to ethereal and interpretive scripture. And by interpretive, I mean, we all know that. Yeah. For anyone that's been around the Christian world enough and has had enough churchmanship and exposure to different elements of theology. Yeah. I am not prepared any longer to stay in one camp of interpretation. Come on. There you I'm go. I'm just not prepared to do it anymore. Well done. And therefore the person of Jesus means more to me now than I have ever, ever known it. Beautiful. Because with the way my brain works as well, by calling myself a disciple of Jesus, mm. I then look to him as to his activity, his interaction, his relationships, the radical nature of drawing out women, challenging the hierarchy and the autocratic. Yeah, 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 thing, yeah. Right? Then my brain can go, okay, I've got it. I've yeah. got it. It's not a, it's not a sort of a nebulous outer body experience of sort of you know how can i experience faith i experience jesus that is the single way i most stay connected into my faith mm. that's how i stay alive in my faith that's how i replenish my faith 
yes. is I really do, and I hate to use the the term red letter Christianity because I know that that's kind of in one sense a bit gimmicky. But that is where I've landed, and that's yep. how my faith stays alive, is by focusing on Jesus, what he did, how he did it, who was important, what did he talk about? What did he talk about? Yeah. He didn't talk about other people's sex lives. No. He didn't talk about, like, you know, the the things that get us riled as Christians. He talked about poverty, injustice, ways of going about relationship, mm. integrity. He was cheeky. He was he, proper cheeky. Proper cheeky. He learnt through others as well as taught us then how to be around others. You know, there's so many ways that Jesus says, I was hanging out with so-and-so and what I've learned from that is. And, you know, by that, I mean, he just tells us these parables and these stories around his interactions with people. Yes. And, and like that's where I get my life from. I love that. I I love the fact, um, I can't, I think... I need to. I, I was having a chat with a friend, uh, with someone, and he, he recalled how Jesus called those people who were the outcasts, the rejects, yeah. the yeah. waifs and strays. He said they're friends. Yeah. And yeah. he said, "Isn't it you? You choose people that you call friends because you are like one another." Yeah. Yeah. Which basically said to those people who don't think they're good enough, he said, "No, no, you're like me. Yeah. You are yeah. like me. Yeah." And that for me is like, so when I'm not, when I, you know, and look, we all have our blue moments. Yeah. We all have our d down days when we're walking yeah. around with a cloud. Having yeah. reminding myself that, oh, okay, you see me as like you. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'll take that. I'll take that every day. And this for me becomes really pertinent, Matt, when we talk about the scripture that we're focusing on today in Matthew which is around that, you know, the soil, the seed, and where does the soil go? And then what happens to the seed? Yeah. And you've referenced the sort of, you know, the word of God, which yeah. is what is regularly then obviously, you know, yeah, yeah, founded yeah. within Matthew. But I read it differently. I read the word as in Jesus. Personally. Yes, yes, yes. So the Entirely. word of life, the word of life. Mm. John, John, 1 John, verse 1, I think it is. It literally talks about Jesus as the word of life. Yes. And that that to me is coming back to how I place Jesus as the central character in my faith. Mm. He's therefore the word of life. And when I look at this scripture in Matthew, I literally read it as in, you know, whoever hears Jesus, yeah. you know, or who welcomes him and accepts him, whoever um, that where the where the word, i.e. where Jesus is sown. Yeah. So I I kind of go through that whole scripture and I I in one sense, literally interpret it as the personification of Jesus, yes. as opposed to just an element of scripture, the word. And uh, the, what I find fascinating is, is how the word uh, uh, penetrates us and then how we react and that, how that adjusts our behaviors. Yeah. You are, you're at the helm, you're at the chief Ever, the, the buck stops with you, obviously, with the trustees, et cetera, with Home for Good, <laughs> all right? And when I heard about – I remember when Home for Good was first started, and I, it was yeah. – like Roy Crown was telling me about the story about it. And essentially, I think it was that uh, a group of people said, we have people who can create good spaces yeah. better. There are more of us. We need to mobilize that. Yeah, yeah. There's a problem there's a challenge there's a mountain that that yeah. and it is what does good look like yeah. bearing in mind when we use the word good as the word tove which is all about functional yeah. functional yeah. good all right now i am we are of similar age all right you're a couple of years ahead of me i'm never going to catch up just saying <laughs> <laughs> i have i have more white hair than you though just saying oh, just, no no definitely i've got a lot more white hair than you um and um i my parents were boomers mm. how they parented mm. is very different to how i parent yeah. how they were parented very very different and they will say they made mistakes mm. and then they will say that the parents before them made mistakes mm. and then when i walk into and i'm and a parent i've got a 20 almost 21 i've got a 17 and a 14 there are parenting behaviors that I've had to unlearn and recalibrate because 
although it was modeled and it was formative in my in my in who i was the outputs on me obviously and i'm not alone because everyone of, of our age group were like oh that was crap yeah, yeah. there's no other words for it, it was proper yeah. awful yeah and yet we think well that's the only way we've done it and yet we see it and we think hold on that doesn't work that that, that doesn't work and we've had to recalibrate a new form of parenting yeah. I remember my wife saying to our kids, you know, you're going to have to go through therapy because we're going to do it wrong. <laughs> and I was like, start the saving account now. The therapy <laughs> account, I call it. Yeah. Oh, it's just like, thanks, Verity. Really, that's so <laughs> encouraging. <laughs> How do you, I'm fascinated to be, you know, you, you run this amazing charity where you are creating havens, aren't you? For, for 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 different times for, for different settings okay. how do you onboard adults people that want to parent mm. knowing that they have their own traumas that they need to unlearn and need to also know who they are so that they are more intentional in making better choices mm. how do you get people to make or be better yeah Oh, you know, this is well, this is part of my every day, day to day, every day. And we're back to the busman's holiday, really, because yeah. I'm still this work in progress to be a therapeutic parent as opposed to what's called a traditional parent, which is what you're referring to. Yeah. We grew up in. Yeah. And therapeutic parenting looks on the outside to the traditional parent like a soft touch. Yeah. It's like, why don't you just set some better boundaries? Why don't you just tell that kid that no they can't have that or you know yeah and if ever you've been around me and my two boys who are now 10 and 11 they both also have a diagnosed brain processing disorder called oppositional defiance disorder. oh i know about that one have you heard of this man <laughs> i won't go into my experiences but oh yes i know it well so odd <laughs> again back in our day right that would just be the classification of a kid who was unable to take instruction, right? And would yep. just easily and quickly get the label of naughty kid, dysfunctional, disruptive. And to know that there are a certain cohort of children due to early trauma or even in utero trauma, which both of my boys uh, encountered, yeah. that it changes the very basic wiring, which means that they embark life with the immediate sense of fear they yeah. they uh, are hyper vigilant they need high levels of control in order to feel safe yeah and so with odd oppositional defiance disorder the traditional parent would go just do what i tell you to do yes and this of course creates a circular narrative in a child which is no no just becomes the default answer because they haven't yeah. been able to articulate their own sense of fear, worry, or being out of control. And so it just becomes yep. defiance. Yeah. So instead of me saying to Mac of a morning, put on your pants, because he'll go, no. I say, darling, do you want the red ones or the green ones? He picks one of them and puts them on because he considers he's had the choice and he's in control of the decision. What's the end game, Matt? The end game is my son puts on his pants and there's no argument about it. Yeah, right? yeah. That's just a very, very simple way of explaining how I have to parent. Yes. Now, it becomes second nature after a while and you begin to work out the ways that you just take out the take out the ability for defiance. Yes. And now yes. that then leads me as a person, as a 50-year-old woman who was brought up with very traditional parenting, uh -huh. highly traditional parenting. Uh -huh. I still acknowledge I get triggered. Oh, yeah. yeah I get triggered in ways that scare me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Terrifying. I get it. I Honestly, and it's not nice to confess it, but if but you can mention nice. it, you can manage it. But if you acknowledge it and you own it, then I can apologize for it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I acknowledge with Mac, particularly, he can say things to me in a way that he says them and with such profound disrespect in his face and voice that triggers me back from how I was parented that says how dare you do that how dare you treat me like that yep. as the caregiver so I've had to dismantle my own triggers be 
utterly aware of them, to acknowledge them in order that I don't allow my 11-year-old to place me in terms of transactional analysis so that I am not accepting the role of adolescent in our relationship. Yes. Because I go from adult to adolescent to child to adolescent back to adult. I try and stay as an adult. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just an example of how, therefore, again, with kind of Jesus at the center of everything, I kind of go, what's my ego? What's my need to be in control? How can I relinquish control? How can I give my child control yet in a way that is utterly age appropriate to him? Mm. And do this all in the space of 30 seconds while trying to get out of out of the front door <laughs> to get to work because I work full time as a solo mum. But yeah. do you know what? It's all possible, Matt, because if I am if I am as committed to the journey of psychological well-being as I am trying to ensure my children are on. Yeah then I have as much responsibility to manage me as I do to try and manage them. I think what's really interesting about what you are sharing, though. So David was a shepherd who looked who who looked after sheep. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you call a farmer who looks after cows because they're not called. They're just called they're, they're, they're not called shepherds. Mm. Well, I don't know, that's gonna just gonna bug me. Anyway, <laughs> but but anyway, he used to protect his sheep, you know, the lions, tigers, and bears, or whatever, with um with stones and a sling. Mm. Not very, you know, sophisticated. No, it's not it's not exactly what you'd call an arsenal of, no. uh, of weaponry, <laughs> is it? Yeah. But my word, he was effective at it. Yeah, yeah. And very- lions, tigers, and bears are very, very big. And very, very fatal. Mm. So then, when he goes and visits his brothers, and he see and he meets uh, Saul, and he hears about this this giant called Goliath, mm. he says, "Well, Goliath is no different to lions, tigers, and bears, mm. of course." And then you hear that ridiculous story about him picking up five pebbles from the stream and runs. He doesn't timidly. No, 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 no. He <laughs> proper runs because in his mind, he said, "I've done this before." Yeah. We had COVID. Mm. You went from being someone looking after Capital Mass, mm. this Church Urban Fund, Diocese of London partnership thing. And then the bishop said, Tarn, I need you. Mm. And your life, in terms of your rhythms with your parent parenting, plus to where you are, that was your moment of shepherding. Yeah. It really was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was bizarre. But I didn't even question how far do I now run and how quickly can I? It's as Mm. though I'd just learnt the steps to take in order to be positioned at the point whereby I could be most active Mm. and, and have the biggest impact. And this is that incredible discipline isn't it in our lives where we think we need to wait for the big moments right Uh and then then we will develop ourselves at the point where we're offered the opportunity yeah and I just realized so much Matt that actually it was the very parenting two young children with the challenges and the multitasking required in that that led me to be able to stretch my temp pegs and to learn what it was to take in bigger opportunity and need and whatever and then when opportunity came, I just was stretched already in a way that meant I could yeah. be active and yes. it not feel as though I had to go into a whole other positional uh, learning place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and so when you took this gig, it was an easy yeah. Mm. It's like, well, yeah, I've done this before. I can do parenting and I can do crazy and wonderful, extraordinary things. Well, why not? Yeah. And actually, in one sense, to answer your previous point or to nod to your previous point about how do we, in one sense, equip people to create those good spaces, those spaces, those homes, those communities of shalom. And that's actually what I most encourage now. And individuals, couples and families, Matt, when people go, 
you know, how do I know whether I'll be able to manage caring for a child or young person with trauma? Mm. How do I know? And I say to them, just talk me through your life experiences. And I can tell within moments whether somebody has had the ability to learn, listen and reflect on their own life in order that they would be able to be present to the life of another or whether they are still engaged in their own need for adulation, ego stroking, uh, haven't yet quite done what I've wanted to do in life. I can tell within minutes whether or not people are going to be able to create places of shalom. By shalom, I mean being peace. Can I bring peace to the life of a young person because Mm. I've worked out my stuff? Can I create a home whereby actually, even with all my own frailty and weakness, I acknowledge that I can create a place whereby there is going to be a better dynamic because me and a child are in it versus just me in it because I add a child to it. It's just going to go into chaos. (laughs) That's what I now look for and that's how I acknowledge when talking to others about whether or not there's still yet some more work to be done before people could consider taking on the life and the trauma of another into their homes and this comes back to this yes David with his sling with his pebbles I look for people that have known what it is to have the activity of the sling in motion in their lives even if they've missed a hundred bears have they picked up the sling and do they know what it is to look at adversity to 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 see the challenges they've experienced in life not as victims but as do you know what i never want anyone to go through that but boy have i learned through it those are what i call the slingshot moments and it's the people that have at least attempted to kill some bears right they make great carers oh, because yeah. as long as they can acknowledge what they went through and the fear in those moments and what didn't work right and the hundred bears not slain, yeah, that makes a great house. You, 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 as you know, as my listeners know, I'm a guy that really is fascinated by society and how it functions, and more importantly, how do we get better outcomes? Mental health is yeah. a is. And you know, mental health is the flip side to shalom, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's the other story. Yeah. And I, I know, you know, uh, uh, that the figures speak for themselves. A lot of people who go through uh, problematic behaviours with really bad outcomes, there is a large portion of those individuals who have come from broken homes mm-hmm. or have been just out of care, mm-hmm. and and then the moment they hit eighteen, off you go. I want nothing to do with you. What you do isn't just because it's a good Christian thing. No, 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 no. no. It's an epoch-shifting, transformational movement that, um, dare I say it, has to be amplified. Yeah. Yeah. Because parenting, relationships, homes and havens, um, it's not – it's – it's a thing for everybody and everyone needs them, not when they're just 18, but also when they're 50, 60, yeah. 70. They it's need a home. It's tribe. Yeah. Belonging. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about Home for Good. What What are the ways that people can engage, participate, dance alongside yeah. your dance? Yeah. What does that look like? We recognise, Matt, that not everybody has either got literal space in their home, but actually sometimes it's not right for people to care for the trauma of others or traumatised children and young people. Do you know what? That's totally okay. But the question then becomes what part can people play? Because everybody has a part to play. So we we talk about this at my local church level in as Mm. much as that my local church, it's a beautiful, quirky place. It's it's, it's Mm. just got some awesome elements to it and it has the typical challenges that most communities of dysfunctional people of which I count myself one belong to (laughs) right but what it has developed is a unique ability to gather people together and to care for the vulnerable in a way that is quite staggering and so I have within my church community 
four or five, we call each other covenant families. We do life together, they with me, me with them. And they have spent extraordinary effort, uh, time and effort on getting to know my boys and their unique needs and the ways that they need um, adult interaction. Yes. Uh, what sets them off, what doesn't. And so as a result of that, we are in a community that together brings shalom. So you could argue, well, hang on, Tan, that, well, why aren't those people fostering and adopting? Well, the reality is that some of them are, and, and it's a growing element in our church. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's got all sorts of challenges to it in terms of how do you change your children's work into being trauma-informed and all the rest of it. Oh, gosh, yeah. The point is that the what part can we play becomes the most important element in this. And so there's extended aunties and uncles, mentors, people who make our lives so rich because of what they have worked out they can offer yeah. to a child in their network who is fostered or adopted. Yeah. But at Home for Good, what we really seek to do is to keep building the understanding that as church, these children are our children. These aren't Tan's children because I've made the step to adopt. These are our children, the church's children. They are all of our responsibility. And what we do now matters deeply in 10, 20, 30 years time. We just had some uh, last year, a, a report by PricewaterhouseCoopers, which whilst was focused on the economic cost yep. of the care system, drew out some staggering elements, Matt. Oh, so yeah. For example, likelihood that a quarter of the homeless population have been at one point in care. For example, the wow. cost of the mental health services in this country of not having addressed um, what we would call comprehensive intervention of services of children who don't have tribe or family yeah. is now the cost to the public purse of now having to navigate mental health services for teenagers and people in their 20s because of the fact they weren't appropriately cared for well in, in their earlier years. So that goes on. The, the one, in, one in three children in the uh, criminal justice system who touch the um, boundaries or are deeply immersed in the criminal justice system are from a care experience background. Wow. Just simply, Matt, if we asked ourselves the questions as society, let alone the church, yeah. what if we just did this very differently and we were committed to family-based care so that every child who, for whatever reason, could not live within their biological family would have a family to call their own who was deeply and radically committed to them, we would, as a society, have a far less challenging landscape to deal with in yeah. terms of ongoing challenges. And it's also fair to say that the cycle of it's one in one in two. So for every child who's in care, they will have had at least one of their two parents in the care system. So again, Matt, you just think, wow, this is circular. My boys are fourth generation care. Oh By my that goodness. I mean that their great grandmother was in the care system. Now, God willing, Matt, because of how I was held by the church, because of then how I wanted to care for children, my then involvement with Home for Good, which then le led me to adopt because of my experience of Home for Good. And now because I'm held by Home for Good and my local church, my children will, God willing, never, ever enter the care system again, nor their children's enter the care system, nor their children's children. Yes, yes. So by, I'm simply trying to get us to the nub of what the church, the role the church has to play and what we then might do about it. Home for Good simply seeks to raise awareness, then equip and then nurture individuals, couples and families of faith who would say, what is it for me to open up my heart and my home if possible? And if not my home, then what can I do to gift those who are caring for children in their homes? Family-based care is the way forward for us to solve 
one of the major challenges that we have in this country, and that's children who are so lonely and isolated that they never reach their fullest potential. And our next generations of leaders are being lost as a result of that. I don't know something I'd prefer to get out of bed for of the morning, Matt, than to be ensuring that we are reducing the numbers of children going into care and ensuring that all the potential in our children today reaches their potential for when they step into their roles of leadership for the future, whatever that might be. Teachers, artists, sculptors, thinkers. We're losing out on the brilliance of children because we're not giving them the opportunities today. And that's what I'm going to put my life into. Um, I I love you for sharing that. I love you anyway. But my word. That's if ever there was a rallying call to get on with it. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Give me the website. Tell the world because it's important, please. Yeah. Homes are good homeforgood.org.uk we've got an incredible inquiry line as well of really gifted individuals who can journey with people at any point they're just interested they just want to know more they're ready to foster and we can do some incredible work with people so that by the time we can refer them to local authorities fostering teams adoption adoption teams regional adoption agencies we get feedback now it was not just anecdotal it's it's um, empirical data that people are 2.5 times more likely to go through a positive assessment to become a foster carer or an adopter. So they're cleared ultimately through an assessment process, um, 2.5 times more likely because they've had an intervention and interaction with Home for Good, where we're able to talk to them about the reality, the challenge, and normalise certain conversations and 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 attachment theory for example around children there's all sorts that we do uh, and that we can offer so that ultimately we can find families and individuals that provide homes of shalom to these children whose potential we can help uh, ensure gets felt and heard for the generations ahead i amazing thank you bless you matt it's been an utter joy Ditto. I love you. You're incredible. Well, <laughs> I, I'm I'm looking forward to see what people say. <laughs> Here we go. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. So just to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. And uh, if you want to catch up with any other episodes, do go on to the Anchor Season 4 um, portal and uh, you'll see all of the other episodes that I've done. Also, check us out on, obviously, iTunes through uh, Apple and with your Android and all of your other different places like Spotify that you get to listen to your podcasts. Equally, if you are someone who uses Twitter, um, we are Seasoned for Life. And um, we have posts of all sorts there. And then this is the next new thing. If you're really interested, why don't you come and join our learning community? It's on Facebook. It's a group of people who are asking questions about what does it look like to be seasoned for purpose? Anyway, thanks again for listening and uh, we'll look forward to connecting with you next time.